0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So let me, let me ask you a question as we get started this morning, and that's this. Are you a Googler, are you a Googler? And here's what I mean by that. You're in a conversation, you're talking, and, uh, and, and, the, and a question comes up that nobody really knows the answer to, are you the person that immediately pulls out your phone to start fact-checking or to su- try and find the answer, right? Question comes up, like, hey, who is that Who is that guy in that one, one movie? And nobody knows, and so you gotta, pull out your phone because we got to know we got to know right now except for no you don't (laughs) we don't need to know right now it doesn't it doesn't matter at all you're not going on jeopardy or anything uh so like you don't you don't need to know my my wife does this and I've had to ask her like hey can you can you not do that like in a car ride or something we'll just be talking and and it just kills conversation immediately whenever you are like I got the answer right here you know remember the good old days whenever you just like talk and try and figure things out on your own, right? Just make up stuff, it's fine. That's what, it's fine to do that. I think Google <laughs> has made us kind of crazy a little bit. Like we have the internet in our pocket and it's at our fingertips and it's made us information crazy. And kind of the direction we're heading in this morning with our, with our text is there comes a point where more information is not what you need. You need to actually do something, right? And here's what I mean by that. Imagine uh, you need to mow your grass. You need to mow your grass, right? Simple task. The grass is growing, the, the ground is, is wet. Not this week, but the ground is, is wet and, and like the grass is ready to be mowed. Imagine if before you go out to mow, uh, you decide, well, I need to first, I need to become an expert on this grass. Uh, like I need to know like, what kind of grass are we, are we dealing with? Here, right, And you start doing all this research on, on what kind of grass you've got. You start researching, like, um, how does grass grow? You know, like, how, what, what does that? And you start, well, what is photosynthesis? You know, like, I go back to like sixth, sixth grade, uh, you know, uh, biology class. Like, I need to learn, like, how, how is this grass growing? Like, what, where do the seeds come from? You know, and you start trying to figure all these things out. And then once you become a grass expert, then you gotta figure out how the mower works, right? And you're like, what does a spark plug do? (laughs) I still don't understand how that works. I also don't understand like how you pour liquid in this machine and it makes it go. You know what I'm talking about? And so before you go mow your grass, you like think I need to become an expert on the grass and on the mower and all of these different things. And so you start Googling the answers before you go mow. But the reality is you don't need to know any of that, right? You just need to mow your grass. Right? You just need to mow and so there comes a point where we have all the information that we need. The real issue then becomes what you do with that information. Right? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter chapter five. So we, we took a week off last week for Easter, but we've been in this series in the book of First Thessalonians. And, and one of the major themes that Paul talks about to the church at Thessalonica is the return of Jesus. And he starts trying to teach them that, that Jesus is returning, but whenever he taught them that, whenever he was there in town with them, and then the period that he was gone and now writing this letter, apparently there was some confusion that, that kind of came up around the return of Jesus. They became very confused. They, they started asking questions like, have we missed it? Like, did Jesus already return and we somehow missed out on this whole thing? Um, they, they, they were quitting their jobs. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That they, they thought that Paul meant Jesus is coming back like Tuesday next week. And so they would quit their jobs because might as well do what I want for the next next week right so they were confused on that they were also confused thinking that that the people that they their friends that had died they were wondering if they were going to miss out on the resurrection of jesus on the return of jesus and so they had a lot of confusion about that maybe the biggest question that they had is when when's it going to happen like when are we actually going to see jesus Jesus' return, which I feel like is probably a natural thing. Like whenever we start thinking a lot about the return of Jesus, that's probably the first question that we have as well. When, like when's it gonna happen? What are the signs gonna look like and all that? And in fact, Jesus' disciples asked the same question, right? Matthew chapter 24, verse three, um, Jesus, while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, hey, tell us when these things will happen. And what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so we would probably ask the same thing. I think it's probably natural, but what Paul's gonna say this morning and teach us is that we have all the information that we need. What we really need to do is make sure we're prepared, okay? So we're gonna read First Thessalonians chapter five. Before we do that, let's, let's pray. And as I pray, why don't you pray for yourself that God would speak to you this morning. God, we ask that you would, uh, that you would speak to us in this moment as we open up your word, and we're talking about a conversation, a topic that maybe uh, is a little bit blurry, it's a little fuzzy, like we don't, we don't fully understand uh, how you're going to return, when you're going to return, and so that, that, that creates a little bit of anxiety in us, just as it did the people in Thessalonica, and so I pray God that through this text and through your word that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, encourage us, convict us where we need it, And I pray that we would leave here changed. I pray, God, that you would speak now, and and we're listening. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. uh, Look at verse 1 with me. It says, about the times and the seasons, okay? The when and the details. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like, like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whenever, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing, all right? So that's our text, there's a lot going on there. Let's break that down, let's define some terms before we really get into the main message of what's happening here. He says there in the beginning about the times and the seasons. Again, they're asking when is this gonna happen? They want to know the details, like what's it gonna look like and when can I expect Jesus to actually return? They're trying to predict the day of the Lord. That's the term that's used there. The day of the Lord uh, is, is something that we see in the Old Testament. It's a phrase, the day of the Lord, and it means the return of God, that the wrath of God is going to come on those who ignore him, and the glory of God is going to come on those uh, who are with him. That's what the day of the Lord means. In fact, there's an Old Testament passage that I want you to see because I think it defines maybe what they had in mind concerning the day of the Lord very well. Amos chapter five, it'll be on the screen for you. It says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and, and not light. Remember we see a lot of that imagery in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. It will be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He goes home and rests his hand against the wall only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? And so the day of the Lord in the Old Testament represented this time that was not, not a happy time. The judgment of God is coming. It's like a bear and a lion, you run away from those guys and you go home and you get bit by a snake and he's saying it's coming. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord comes to be uh, defined as the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is what the day of the Lord is. And so the Thessalonian people, man, they were afraid that they were gonna face this or maybe they were already facing this. And so Paul, in this passage, he reassures the Christians that God would deliver them from any coming judgment. He's trying to encourage them in in this moment. He says, though, that it's gonna happen like a thief in the night. Did you see that? He said like a thief like a thief in the night. Jesus' return is gonna be sudden and it's going to catch people off guard. That's what he's saying with that. But Paul wasn't referring to the Christians. He uses this dark and light imagery, this night and day. We see it over and over in this passage. The darkness symbolizes those who are separated from God. The light separ- uh, would indicate those who follow Jesus. He's talking about the Christians there. So, so keep that in mind. There's the darkness, the, that's the non-Christians. The light is the Christians. Uh, verse, verse four and five of chapter five there. But you, brothers and sisters, uh, that's Christians. Whenever he says brothers and sisters, that's, that's the Christian people, the church are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or, or the darkness. So his goal in writing to the Christians about the coming day is not to scare them, but to encourage them, right? To, to inspire them to live faithfully. He's saying, listen, you, you are not in the dark. You're not ignorant to these things. You are in the light. You don't need more info. You don't need to know when it's going to happen because ultimately nobody knows. You just need to be prepared. And so the main area I want us to zoom in on is is verses six through eight. That's our main main text this morning. Look at that again, verse six. So then, because we're not in the dark, so then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. So he says, because you're in the light, I wanna show you two things that he says. Because you are in the light, Christian, number one, be ready, be ready. That's what he's saying here in, in verses six through eight. He, he kinda says in verse, verse six, he gives us two things. He says, stay awake. That's the first thing he says to do, to be ready. Stay, stay awake. Let us not sleep like the rest. Let us stay awake, verse six says. He used sleep, if you remember, um, two weeks ago in chapter four, he used sleep to, to talk about people who had died, right? The way he's using sleep here is a different Greek word. So he's not talking about those who are dead. He's talking about like sleep. What he's literally saying is don't be unaware. Don't, don't be unaware, be watchful, be observant, be attentive to the things that are going on around you. Anybody here grow up playing sports as a kid? Yeah, I grew up playing, playing sports and, and, and my coaches used to scream all kinds of crazy things from the sidelines, right? Like, wake up, <laughs> look alive, uh, get ready, get ready, right? Uh, one of the one of the things is, is uh, keep your head on a swivel, Right? which makes no sense, but also makes perfect sense. Um, I remember when that made sense to me. I was playing uh, high school football. I was on the kickoff return team, and uh, I was turning around looking to see where the ball was, and all of a sudden, I just got ear by this dude. I'm laying on my back, and it's like, oh, to keep the head on a swivel thing makes perfect sense, right? You got you to gotta keep it all around and you know what's going on around you. Have you ever seen uh, little kids play, play t-ball? Right? And there, there'll be the kids that are like in the outfield, like playing in the dirt and picking flowers and doing anything and everything other than watching the ball, right? Well, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. That's the picture of the unsaved. They're just spiritually unaware. Just unaware of what's going on around him. And that's what Paul says. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like the rest. They are drunk and asleep. And we are to be the opposite. We're to be awake and alert. I find whenever you talk about the return of Jesus, Christians kind of fall into two camps on this. One, you've got either a group of people who like, that's all they wanna talk about is the return of Jesus, or you get a group of people who's like, I don't wanna talk about that at all, right? And I don't think either of those are healthy. Paul tells us to be aware. That Jesus is returning. Be aware, be watchful, be observant, be ready, right? So he says stay awake. The second thing he says is to be self-controlled. He, whenever he says be self-controlled in verse six concerning this be ready idea, he's talking directly of their behavior, their actions, how they, how they live, the sudden nature uh, of Christ's return should affect how we live, right? He's coming back quickly, like a thief in the night, and like that should affect how we live. Romans chapter 13 talks about this as well. Paul says there, he says, he says besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency, as in the daytime, not carousing or or drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He's saying that the return of Jesus should affect how how we live. So let me ask you, is the return of Christ anywhere on your radar as you go throughout your week? Is it anywhere on on your radar? Not that we just like sit and twiddle our thumbs and just watch the sky and and don't really get anything done, but does the return of Jesus inform the decisions that you make, the way that you use your resources, the relationships you pursue, the, the lifestyle that you chase after? Does the return of Jesus affect any of that. I believe that so many of us live in such a comfortable life here on this earth that we rarely think about what comes next. We're just comfortable, and it doesn't affect our day at all. But the the truth is, and what Paul's trying to teach us, is that dwelling on the return of of Jesus puts things in proper perspective for us. It'll, it'll prioritize our life. It'll make the things that are supposed to matter, matter. The things that we chase that don't really matter, whenever we've put our eyes on the return of Jesus, that he's coming again, man, those things will get put aside. Christ is coming back. And the Bible says it's soon. So we are to live like it, right? Live like it. This is promoting action, not as he, as he contrasts it with drunken complacency. Just being passed out drunk. He, he's saying, don't be like that. Be ready. Live with eyes ahead. Live your lives as if Jesus is coming back, because he is. And whatever he, what he says here in verse eight is he kind of gives us this picture whenever he's talking about self-control, he uses the illustration or the metaphor of a soldier. He uses it a lot and it makes a lot of sense because if you think of of self-discipline, you think of self-control, man, the military, soldiers, that whole thing, it makes a lot of sense. He says in verse eight, to put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation, right? put on the the armor and put on the helmet. Now, some people like to make a big deal out of what these things do, that like the breastplate would guard the heart and the helmet would guard the mind. And maybe there's some, some truth in that. But I think the bigger point that Paul's trying to make here is he's saying, be ready, because you're in a fight. So be ready. And hear me say this, all right? Living for Christ will never just happen by accident. You're not just gonna look up and find yourself further down the road of looking like Jesus. It's a war, it's a fight. And so we follow in the footsteps of God and we put on faith and love and hope every day as we get up and we go into the battle. And so if it's a fight, if it's a battle, then that means that we do have an enemy, right? We do have an enemy. And the obvious one here is Satan. We have an enemy in in Satan and that that is true that Satan does not want us to actually live out our faith. He will throw attacks our way to knock us off course or cause us to lose focus and that is true. Like we do have an enemy that's out there that wants us to fail miserably. But I think there's another enemy here that Paul is addressing whenever he's saying to put on these things, put on the armor, to be awake, be self-controlled and that's the enemy of our flesh our own sinfulness, our own sinful desires that will distract us from the things that he's calling us to, just cause us to fall into a life of passivity. Whenever Paul's saying to be awake, be alert, be self-controlled, he's saying, man, fight yourself. Fight those things that would cause you just to sit back and not really pay attention to anything that's going on. So he says, stay awake, be self-controlled, put on the armor. Be ready, is what he's saying. And then the second thing that he says that, that the return of Jesus does for us is he says, You are in the light, so be encouraged. Be encouraged. That's what he says in, in verse, verse 9 for, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus knew that we were helpless in our sin. He knew that we were hopeless. We were passed out drunk in the darkness of our sin, so he came to earth on a rescue mission to save us and what's really cool is the imagery that paul uses for the for the armor that the, that the soldier puts on he takes that straight from isaiah chapter 59 that describes our god putting on that same armor when he comes on this rescue mission to save us isaiah fifty nine seventeen, he says he talking about god put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. See, he came battle ready, clothed in righteousness, the helmet of salvation on a mission to save you and me. That he, he came, he lived a life that we couldn't. This past week, we celebrated Good Friday, which is the day that Jesus willingly laid down his life on a cross for you he went to a cross and he died a death that you and I deserve to die, and then they put him in a grave. Three days later, though, we just celebrated last Sunday that, that his lungs filled with air again and he walked out of that tomb alive. And his death is our death, and his resurrection becomes our resurrection as well. And Romans 10.9 tells us that you and I can actually be saved. That we can actually go and be a part of the kingdom of light. Romans 10, 9 says, if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when that happens, the moment that that happens, Colossians 1, 13 says that he transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what happens whenever you experience salvation, whenever you confess Jesus as your Lord. That's the reason he says here uh, in this passage, he talks about the hope of salvation. Did you see that? The hope of salvation. Paul's not just saying, man, that we hope, I hope I have salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. Like we can know for a fact that we have been saved. That's what the book of 1 John is all about, that we can know that we have salvation. I pray this morning, that you know that you have salvation. What Paul is saying, he's saying we don't just hope that we have salvation, he's saying that, that the hope that salvation gives to us, that we put that on, that we have hope because we have salvation. There's three tenses whenever it comes to salvation. Whenever you experience Jesus as your savior, there's three things that it does for you. In the past, it says I have been saved from the penalty of sin that your sin separates you from God, that you were owed death, but, but your salvation, it, it saves you from the penalty of sin. In the present, it says I am being saved from the power of sin, and so I'm continually looking more and more and like, like my savior Jesus, right? The power of sin is loosing its grips on me, and then in the future tense, salvation says I will be saved from the very presence of sin, and I will be with Christ forever. And it's that hope, that we cling to. The return of Jesus gives us great hope. So don't miss what Paul is saying to us this morning. Paul is saying God has not forgotten about us. He's not forgotten about us. A day is coming when he will come back for us and everything will change. Jesus Christ will make all things new. The very presence of sin and brokenness that we face today will be gone and we will be with Jesus for the rest of eternity. That is the hope of our salvation. That's the hope that he's talking about here. And we, brothers and sisters, Christians, we have that hope. Ephesians 2.12 says that the unsaved people, they don't have that hope. But we, we belong to the day. And we have hope. And because of that, verse 11 says, encourage one another and build one another up, as you are already doing. See, the gospel truth encourages us, it builds us up, and it propels us forward. Our God loves us so much that he died for us, that he transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, and one day he's returning and we will be with him forever, so, so be encouraged. Be encouraged, and may that encouragement affect your life. That's what God, through Paul, was trying to teach the Thessalonians and that's what he's trying to teach us. Be encouraged and may that encouragement affect how we live. If you have little kids and you've ever been in the car and you're on a trip, um, what do they ask, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we gonna be there? And, and you're driving and you're like, hey, hush. <laughs> don't say it again, like I don't wanna hear that again. And, and so then they get, they get smart, my kids have gotten smart, they say well, um, would it be closer for us to go back home or, or to keep going? <laughs> but the question they're asking is, is when, like when? And with the return of Jesus, man, we get caught up in the when, don't we? We start watching all the signs and reading the blogs and things like, oh, man, there's war over there. Like Jesus said there'd be war, right? So maybe maybe now, maybe it's close, and we get caught up in the when. We try and decipher the world events, and we try and crack the code. And we ask when. And I told you earlier that even the disciples asked Jesus the same thing. When's it going to happen? Look at this. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 24, 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said tell us, when are these things gonna happen? And what is the sign of your coming into to the end of the age? And Jesus gives a really long answer and then he says in, in verse 36, now concerning that day and hour, when? No one knows. No one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the sun. He's talking about himself. We don't know. Only the Father alone. And then skip down to verse 44. This is why you are to be ready. Be ready because the Son of Man is coming. Be ready. He's coming at an hour you do not expect. And so I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again now. There comes a point when you have all the information that you need. The real issue then becomes what you do with that information. God never intended for you to know when Christ is coming, but he always intended for you to know that he is coming again. He's coming again. You can mark it down the bible does not give us dates and times but it gives us a promise christ is returning and he told us jesus himself said be ready so are you are you ready for the day of the lord in 1833 there was this phenomenon that occurred this meteor shower that happened and there's articles and there's stories about this you can read that, that tell of, of, they say between 50,000 and 150,000 stars fell every hour during this meteor shower. Like it was crazy. I've got a picture that, you know, it's a, it's a drawing of it. but. One article I, I read described it as, as thick snow falling. That's what it looked like. There were so many stars falling that, the, that it looked like snow. And people everywhere thought that the world was ending and they were in panic, obviously, and rightly so, right? They, they thought that the world was coming to an end. And there was a story of this little boy. He, he runs into his mom's room at night. She's asleep and he wakes her up. He said, mom, all the stars are are falling. And she got up and she rushed to the window and she said, thank God I'm ready. Thank God I'm ready. When she thought her time had come, she confidently said, I'm ready. Could you do the same? Could you answer that in the same same way? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse two, Paul says, you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say, talking about those in the darkness, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Whenever he describes the dark, I mean, the people in the dark, listen how he describes that future judgment. I mean, in this passage alone, he says that there's gonna be surprise, He says there's gonna be destruction, says there's gonna be darkness and pain and no escape. That's the picture of a thief coming and the labor pains that you can't escape. John Stott says it this way, the thief gives you no warning and labor pains give you no escape. The return of Jesus is a fact And it will be sudden, and people will be caught off guard. And so I'll ask you again, are you ready? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.